You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. Today's worship service is going to be significantly different. Um, matter of fact, you're going to remain seated from this point on until we get to the last song. Um, when we move into 2020, uh, we're going to be emphasizing prayer uh, next year. Just a few blocks from this church, if you go down to 20th Street, that's a few more than just a few blocks, but down around 20th Street, if you draw a six-mile circle around 20th Street, there is 6,000 unchurched homes. It is one of the pockets of lostness in North Carolina that has been identified as an area of very high lostness. Some 50 to 60% of the homes in that general area do not follow Jesus Christ. When you go out to our Bless Every Home, 56 of you have signed up to, to be a blessing to your neighbors. We have adopted over 1,800 homes. We've already prayed for somewhere around 1,500 of them, or we're making the steps necessary to walk across the street. Because remember, the mission field is not getting on a plane. It can be. The mission field is across the yard, the person on the other side of the street from you. You're called to sack where you live. Those 1,800 homes, those 6,000 homes that are nearby where we are located right now, listen, reaching those homes, that's, that's bigger than any of us. That's going to require a move of God. These unreached people groups that Andrew just talked about, that is going to require a move of God through God's people. So today's service is to kind of get our hearts ready for 2020. We're going to be doing 40 days of prayer starting on February the 5th. You're going to hear more about that. There's going to be a lot of resources we're going to put in your hands for that. And what we want you to understand, what we want you to know, is that 2020 is going to be a year we seek a move of God in this fellowship and in this community unlike anything we've seen before. And we're asked for our ushers to come forward this morning if they will. Father, I pray that we would, in this very moment right now, clear our minds, clear our hearts. Father, it would be really easy for us to be distracted right now with all the things we've got to do next week with all the stuff we've got to do tomorrow, catching up from being on Christmas vacation, with all the stuff that our job is going to require of us. Father, it would be really easy for us to spend the next time focused on our to-do list. Father, I pray that we could clear our minds and our hearts right now. Father, you want to speak to us this morning. But it's going to require us to listen. It's also going to require us to be open to what you have to say because, Father, what you're wanting to do in this fellowship, it's bigger than a program. It's bigger than an individual. It's bigger than anything that we could possibly come up with. And quite frankly, Father, what you have in store for us is better than anything we could come up with. But, Father, we must be ready to receive it. So prepare our hearts even now. Thank you for the folks who've gathered here today. 
I pray, Father, that you would speak to them. So, Father, we are listening. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Turn to Psalm 85. Psalm 85. I was recently studying and reading about some of the great revivals and moves of God, in, not only in our own country, but across the globe. And even, even now, as, as we speak, there is a, a great and mighty move of God that is happening in all places that you would probably never imagine 
but in Iraq. Did you know that the church is growing by leaps and bounds in places like Iran and Iraq? In places like China, where the current regime has been pressing down so hard upon the house churches that people are being arrested and we're getting, we're getting accounts out of the country from people who've fled that Christians are being put to death. As I read about these great moves of God, I came to the realization that, that I have never personally experienced a revival. Now, let me, let me qualify that. What I mean by a, a revival, I mean I have never experienced anything like, as a great awakening where there is a move of God that is so powerful and so real and so tangible that the world is never quite the same afterwards. I have been involved with great worship services. I've seen people's lives change. I've seen God do miracles. But when it comes to a, a grand and large move of God that is undeniable, I'm ashamed to say that I have never witnessed that. When, when I read about what God has done in the past, in the New Testament church. And there have been multiple great moves of God. I come away with that thinking, well, God, I know you haven't changed. You know, theology, Scripture tells us that God never changes. So, so when I look at time and space and history and I look at all that God has done, there's a question that wells up in my mind. Why am I, have I not seen that in my 48 years on this earth? When I was growing up, the church that I attended, we, we, had, we had two revivals every year. And it happened every year, usually about the same time of the year, as far back as I can remember. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. As a child and a teenager, I wasn't too thrilled when those weeks came because we had one in the fall and one in the spring. And what that meant for me was six nights, seven days in church. We would start on Sunday night, and we would go till Saturday night, and I wasn't too, I didn't look forward to that, quite honestly. And we, and we called that revival. Sometimes there would be different speakers each night. Sometimes there would be one speaker through the whole week. There would be special groups of singers that would come in, and, and we would spend weeks leading up to that revival meeting praying. We would have what was called cottage prayer times where people would meet in homes, and they would pray about the upcoming revival. And and there were times where we saw people came to faith in Christ. Where there were times where people would turn from addictions and everything else under the sun. But, but after that sixth or seventh night that we met, you know what happened? Everything went back to normal. You know, when I read about revivals and when I read about great moves of God, you can describe the after effects of what God did. You can describe it a lot of ways, but you can't describe it as normal. It's anything but normal. As a matter of fact, it's abnormal where people come face to face with a holy God, and you can't come face to face with a holy God, whether that is for salvation or repentance, where it doesn't radically change who you are from the inside out. So am I talking about 
six or seven days of meetings? Or am I talking about God moving powerfully, unlike anything we've ever seen, where it changes a fellowship such as Hyde Park? And not only that, but changes an entire community? Is that what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, that's what the psalmist is talking about. The revivals that I experienced growing up that we called revival, we didn't seek God as much after the revival as we did before. Isn't that interesting? That as soon as the last night closed, it was business as usual. But that's not what God is talking about when He revives someone back to life. The psalm was written right after the Babylonian exile. It was written by a group of, of men called the sons of Korah, and they, their responsibility was leading worship among the Israelite nation. And the sons of Korah sit down and write this psalm, and this psalm was written probably 20 or 25 years after they came out of Babylonian captivity. Now, just to give you a little background, if you remember the nation of Israel, the southern kingdom was taken into Babylon because they had turned their hearts toward idols, and, and God had warned them that if they didn't repent, that God was going to bring judgment upon them, and that judgment was going to be by a foreign nation. And God did exactly what He said He was going to do. He told them that it was going to last for 70 years, and those people, God's people, lived in bondage in Babylon under the rule of some pretty bad guys. And their heart, during that, during that time of exile, their hearts longed to be back in their homeland, to be back in the city of Jerusalem, to be able to worship in the temple, to be able to do the things that they would love to do in worship and honoring God. And during that 70 years, their heart and their soul got so dry and longed so much for God that they could not wait for that exile to end. If you remember, the prophets were telling them, Prophet Jeremiah told them that it would be 70 years. Ezekiel told them that it would be 70 years. Daniel told them that it would be 70 years. And on the 70th year, guess what God does? God begins to send the people back to their homeland just as He promised. And you would imagine that after 70 years of Babylonian captivity, the nation would be on fire for God, right? And for a time they were. But after about 20 to 25 years, you know what happened? Spiritual apathy set in. The minor prophets tell us that the people of God who had been through that in the next generation, they got to a point where they loved the rituals, worshiping at the temple, the sacrifice. That they enjoyed the rituals so much that they replaced God with the rituals. And they were just going through the motions thinking that that was worship when in fact their hearts were cold and indifferent. In other words, after all that they'd been through, the hearts of the people had now turned cold towards God. The sons of Korah put this psalm together to cry out to God. God, do something. Because the last thing they wanted was to end up back bondage and captivity. Look at Psalm 85, verse 1. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You, gave, you forgave the iniquity of your people like the flood. You covered all of their sin. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. You know what the psalmist is doing? We see this many times in the Psalms. As he's leading the people in worship, 
and calling out for God to move powerfully among them, he drives their attention back to what God has done in the past. You see, God had done some mighty works in their past, and God had not changed. And the people needed to be reminded that this God who worked back there is willing to work right then. He says to them, you remember that God shows favor to the people who are in a covenant relationship with Him. That word favorable means that God showed them the light. It wasn't as though God was doing them favors. No, it was much deeper than that. God had delight in the people. He loved them with an everlasting love. He separated them from the rest of the nations, and He set them apart to be light into a broken world. And He delighted in them. He gave them a land. After they came out of Babylonian captivity, He, he restored their fortunes and restored all that they had lost. And notice verse 2. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You see that word, forgave? In the Old Testament, the Hebrew language, it, it has this idea of a large, heavy weight being on a person's back. The idea is this, is as we sin and disobey from God, the shame and the guilt weighs down upon our shoulders. Joy and peace is absent in our lives as we try to bear up under the weight of our own foolishness and our own sin. And this is the picture of the nation some 20 years after they come out of exile, that they had turned back to disobedience, and it was bearing down upon them. And the psalmist says, you remember that, that God forgave us. That they had turned their hearts to idols. They were even bowing down to the false god Baal. And God says, I'm going to forgive you of the sins and the iniquity that you've committed against me. And he covered all their sins. That word covered is an amazing word. It seems kind of simple in our English, but in the Hebrew language, it takes us all the way back to the flood. You remember Noah's flood that covered the whole earth? that the whole earth was covered in water, that same word is used. And why that's important is this, is that God, when He forgives you of your sins, He takes your sins from you and He buries them in the depths of the ocean, covered, never to be brought up again. Only a holy God can do that. I have a tendency to bring them back up myself, but God never does. He says, your sins were covered. Verse 3 and God withdrew all your wrath. Let me, let me just speak to you just a moment. If you're lost here today, you, you've never come to faith in Christ, I'll, I'll tell you how you're feeling right now. Because I remember how it was when I was lost. You're, you're dealing with the, the wrath and the anger of God. You're scared to death that God is going to just crash down upon you. And in fact, if you continue to reject Jesus Christ, you will experience all the full wrath of God, but you are bearing up under the weight that is upon your shoulders of the sin and the shame that you have, you have in your life because of your own disobedience. The sons of Korah says to the people, you remember when we had all of that shame and that guilt and God forgave us, He covered it, He cast it away from us, and not only that, he turned his wrath away from us. And our relationship to the Father was restored. Congregation, I think, I think we need to look back at all that God has done in your life. 
I, I think it's from that place. It's from that place of looking back what God has done that God is going to do something new. What God has done back there, God is going to do and wants to do today in your life, in your home, in your marriage, in your family, with your prodigal son and your prodigal daughter, with your prodigal grandkids. God is wanting to do something in your life today. And it may very well be that you are overwhelmed with doubt because God seems distant. Well, isn't it time we go back and we look at what He's done, knowing that He wants to do something today? So, I have some questions for you. And this, these are some opportunities for you to respond. Because I believe when the sons of Korah were speaking this psalm to the Israelite people, the people got to respond. So, how would you fill in this blank? Lord, I praise you that you showed me your grace when? What would you put in there? How would you say and how would you give praise to the Lord for how he's shown you grace in the past? This is where you speak up and I stop talking. How has God showed, him, showed you his grace? What about this one? Lord, I praise you that you have delivered me from. You've been delivered from some things. What's God delivered you from? Lord, I praise you that you have forgiven me of what has the Lord forgiven you of and set you free from? Father in heaven, it is in your works in the past that your people have testified of just now for wanting to remind us that you have not changed. So Father, your grace and your forgiveness and your presence and your power is as real today as it has ever been in eternity past. So Father, Remind us of your goodness. Remind us of the work you're wanting to do right now. Right now, not tomorrow, right now. As we sing this song together, Father, we are listening. Please speak. In Christ's name.
once the sons of Korah had directed the attention of the people back to what God had done in the past, he says this in verse 4, Restore us again. You see, when you look back at what God has done, you come to the conclusion that, that something is wrong today. And whatever's wrong today is going to require God to do something today. We cannot, we cannot coast on the blessings of God of the past because God wants to do something today. The psalmist says, restore us again. It can be interpreted, turn us back. You see, when the psalmist looked at the reality of where the people were then, he cried out to a holy God saying, God, please, please move. Move like you've done in the past. Forgive like you've forgiven in the past. Cover like you've covered in the past. God, we need a new work of you today. We need a new manifestation of your power and your work today. You know that emptiness and that brokenness that you feel inside? You know that dissatisfaction with what you see going on on the world stage, whether it be our country or somewhere else? That, that deep down groaning that, that only you and God know about? It doesn't have to be the world stage. It could be your marriage. It could be your kids. It could be your job. It could be a whole lot of things. But down deep inside, you are groaning over something. And that groaning is connected to the brokenness of the fallen world that we live in. No program, no fancy vision that's worded just correctly is going to fix or deal with any of that. This is why the sons of Korah, at verse 4, cry out before the people, God, restore us. Turn us back again, O God of our salvation. And please, God, put away your indignation towards us. The, the psalmist is crying out for God's grace. See that word indignation? I know we don't like to talk about this. We don't like to consider this, but God gets angry. We like to think of God as some kind of plush play toy that we can bring out when we have some kind of need going on, and as soon as we get through that, we put him back on the shelf. God is some kind of slot machine up in heaven where we do a few things, and then we require God to do everything as long as it makes us comfortable, happy, and everything lines up the way we want it to. But the God of the Bible is a God who gets angry, who's deeply displeased when we disobey. And the psalmist rightly calls out on behalf of God's grace, saying, God, I know that there's no reason why you should forgive us. God, I know that there's no good work that we could possibly do to earn your forgiveness. So God, I call out upon your grace that you would pour your grace out towards us one more time. God was not obligated. He's not obligated towards me. Because of His good grace, He forgives. Look at verse 5. Will you be angry for us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? The psalmist is concerned that the sins of his contemporaries is going to spill over into the lives of their children and into their grandchildren. So he calls out before God and he says, God, we are willing to seek your forgiveness now, not just for our sake, but for the sake of our kids and for our grandkids. You know, um, 
It's really easy to beat up and beat down the current generation, right? Oh, those millennials. Oh, whatever the next generation is coming up, right? It's easy to beat them down. But you know what? The millennials and the generation coming behind them are dealing under the structure of the bad choices that we, my generation, and the generation ahead of me made. The choices that we made that were self-centered has now spilled over into the next generation and the next generation. We bear responsibility, do we not? Lord, please do not be angry for us or rather. Will, will you prolong your anger to all generations? Verse 6, will you not revive us again? Will you not bring us to life again? Will you not, will you not be working in our lives that word revive you can go all the way back to ezekiel 37 the prophet ezekiel was taken into a valley and in that valley was bones dry bones no skin no ligaments no organs just just dry bones and god says to the prophet ezekiel Ezekiel, will, will these dry bones, can, can these dry bones live? Can, can they be revived, the same word? Can they be brought back to life? And Ezekiel says, Lord, you know. If it's going to happen, it's going to be happen because you move, God. It's not because the bones fix themselves. It's going to be something from the outside of mankind that revives these dry bones back to life. There's no way I could put skin on it or flesh on it or organs on it. So God, only you know. The psalmist says here, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you once again? When we talk about revival, what we're actually saying here is, is the manifest presence of the power of God. Do, do you really want that? Let, let me ask you. You don't have to answer this out loud. But do you really, really want that? Now, be careful. Because nowhere that I can find where there's been a great move of God, there was an also deep sacrifice. So the thing that you're holding on to that's not God, it's become a God in your life. And it's not God at all. It's been promising peace. It's been promising joy. It's been promising a lot of things. But you know deep down it's not given, it's not fulfilled any of those promises. But yet we're still holding on to it. It could be lust, it could be, it could be an addiction, it could be pornography, it could be a whole host of things, but that God with a little G has brought nothing but pain and turmoil into your life, yet we keep holding on. The revival that, that God describes is one that says you have to come to the place where you're willing to let go of that lesser thing. So by, by saying, yes, God, we want revival. Yes, God, we want to be brought back to life. What you're in essence saying is, God, I'm willing to let go of whatever's got a hold of my life. Are we willing to say that? Are we willing to do it? Are we willing to follow through? That's why we need to be careful. He says, show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Now notice in verse 8 how the tense changes. Up until this point, the psalmist has been directing his words to the congregation, but notice what he says in verse 8. He says, let me hear 
what God the Lord will speak, for He will speak peace to His people and to His saints. This is what I love about this psalm. The psalmist is expecting God to do something. He's expecting God to move. He's expecting God to answer. And, and the psalmist stops long enough to listen to what God wants to say. When our prayer lives turn into nothing more than telling God what we deserve and what we want and what we should get, rather than dwelling in His presence and sitting at His feet and learning from Him, Him just simply being with Him because we love Him enough and we, we respect Him enough that we want to be with Him and we simply want to have a conversation with Him. And by the way, a conversation is two-way. Did you know that God wants to say something to you? The Creator of the universe wants to speak to your soul could you not imagine that that is the most important conversation that a human being could have? Could it be that what God is wanting to say to you is what your soul has been longing for for generations, but you've been investing your life in something less than? The psalmist recognizes that the Lord wants to speak. And what is he going to speak? He's going to speak peace, shalom to his people. Not the peace that the world talks about. You, you, know, you know the peace that they talk about, right? You need more of this, and you need more of this, and you need more of this, and you never measure up. You're never good enough. You're, you're never going to have enough money. You're never going to have enough stuff. You're, you're never going to have enough promotions. You're never going to have enough. And, and that stuff is where you're going to find your peace. So you keep searching, and you keep looking. And for a little while, it provides a little peace, right? The new car, the new stuff you got this past week, it, it, for a little while, right? that it all fails ultimately. You know why? Because it can never fill the hole that's in your life. Lost person, let me, let me just say to you, that deep abiding brokenness that you cover really well, that you've never been able to escape, that you were born with, that, that hole in the center of your life that you've tried to fill with everything coming and going, and all it has done is prolonged your pain and prolonged your struggle and prolonged your stress, For you, what revival means for you is a brand new life. Forgiveness, sin taken away, shame removed, and a relationship restored to your Father, your Creator, through Jesus Christ the Son and the sin that He paid on your behalf. What God longs for you is for you to know Him as Father. He will speak peace to his people. The psalmist says, let them not turn back to folly. You see, when God begins to speak and we begin to listen, there's that, that moment of choice that comes. God begins to prize something out of our hands. God begins to show us that how that thing has never brought any peace. And he begins to work on that thing and he begins to put his hand on that thing. And in that moment, the psalmist recognized we have a tendency to turn back to our own foolishness, do we not? Oh, wait a minute, I got this, God. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go back to church, I'll sing a few songs, and I'll kind of get on past this little hard spot, and I'll just move on with my life. He says, don't let us turn back to the folly, to the foolishness. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. We have a song that we're going to sing, and if God's wanting to speak, I know that He is, specifically to you. What, do you. what do you think God's wanting to say? He's wanting to speak peace 
He, he's wanting to fill your life with something that matters. And he's got something he wants to say to you. You may think I'm crazy. You may, this may be the first time you've ever stepped in church in your life. And you're like, what is this guy talking about? That the creator of the universe wants to speak? Yes. That's the beauty of what God is wanting to do. That God knows you personally. He knows every hair on your head. And God wants to say something to you. Lost person, it may be to you. Finally, once and for all, lay down that false God. It may be to the Christian, listen, there's something in your life that's got between me and you, and isn't it about time that you put that stuff aside and put your faith and follow me and repent of that mess? Well, let's listen to what he has to say. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? But do you know that all the darkness stops the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of the grave. 
So the psalmist turns his attention to what God is going to do. In verse 10, he says, Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. And our Lord will yield, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him make his footsteps away. The psalmist looks forward to a time of the manifestation of God's power. Faithfulness leads to righteousness, and righteousness leads to peace. The thing that I struggled with when I was lost at age 16, the thing that I struggled with is that the fun that I was having in the world, the things that I was participating in in the world, how could God have something better than that? And, and you may be thinking that, that, that whatever you're addicted to, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're running after, could, could God be better than that? And we all say this experience is grace and mercy. Absolutely, yes. God wants to give you something good. Now, it's not always how you define good. The 70 years of Babylonian captivity in the eyes of the people was not good. I mean, they didn't enjoy not having the freedoms that they once had. They didn't enjoy not being in their homeland. But you know what? It turned out to be something incredibly good for the nation of Israel. Every valley, every difficulty, every struggle, God is working in that issue, in that moment, to bring about something good and amazing and marvelous in your life, something good in you and something glorious for Him. That's what he does. That's what a good father does. A good father is willing to let their kids suffer for a greater good. A good father is not going to give everything that the kid wants because the father knows better in his wisdom. 
the, a good father is not going to just hand the kids something that is going to destroy their life because it's something good for them now. No, a good father with wisdom and experience is going to say, no, I'm not giving you that now because I know what it will bring in your life and it will bring destruction into your life. Well, guess what? Your heavenly father on a much higher scale is doing exactly the same thing. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. That steadfast love, faithfulness, righteousness, and peace. When you look in the, the original language, there's a, there's a structure in the Hebrew language that, that points out the beginning and the end and then that middle part. So look at the beginning. The beginning is steadfast love. The last part is peace. And the two words in the middle, faithfulness and righteousness. So it goes like this, that faithfulness and righteousness. Living faithfully to God. Living by faith and not by sight. Following Him day in and day out. Even when things are hard and even when it's dark. Following Him in faithfulness and trust. And then following Him in such a way that is right. You know, God is not so much concerned about what you know. He's concerned about how you're behaving. You can have all the knowledge in the world. You can know this Bible inside out. You can know the languages behind it. But if it's not transforming how you live in your life, day in and day out, there is a lost world that's watching. Righteousness and faithfulness. And you know what that leads to? Steadfast love and peace. How can living for God bring peace? Well, all those things that I used to worry about when I was lost, I no longer worry about. You may be facing you may be facing some difficult things, whether it be a medical diagnosis or marriage is in, in, in trouble or kids are running off and doing their own thing. It's breaking your heart. Now is the time for faithfulness. Now is the time to walk with Christ closely. And as a result, He will speak peace into your heart and into your soul. Faithfulness and righteousness leads to peace, shalom, and steadfast love. What is revival? If it's not the, the six-day thing that what I did when I was growing up, if it's not a scheduled set of services, then, then what is revival? How can we define it? How can we, how can we wrap our arms around it? Well, I've got a couple of definitions. I hope it will help you. Martin Lloyd-Jones is a guy I love to read his work. He says this, revival is a period of unusual blessing and activity in the life of the Christian church. Revival means awakening, stimulating the life, bringing it to the surface again. Ian, Murphy, or Ian Murray says this, quote, Revival is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit brought about by the intercession of Christ, resulting in a new degree of life in the church and widespread movement of grace among the unconverted. It is an extraordinary communication of the Spirit of God, a superabundance of the Spirit's operations and enlargement of His manifest power. And I want you to see both those definitions and notice how none of it has to do with what you do. It's the power of God working in you. Now, we need to be prepared for it. And that's what we're going to be doing in 2020. We're going to be preaching through the book of Acts this year. 
You want to talk about a super abundance of the move of the Holy Spirit? You want to talk about a God moment, God moment after God moment after God moment? You want to talk about revival and, and, and resuscitation and life in the church? Well, let's go into the book of Acts and let's see what God did. And so let's see if God wants to do something afresh and anew and super abundant within this fellowship. Those 6,000 unchurched homes, those 1,800 that we've adopted and are praying for, if there's going to be any change happen in those homes, it's going to be the power of God that makes the change. It's going to be God's people who are broken over their own sins, their own disobedience, who get right with God and walk in lockstep with Him who are no longer afraid to bring Jesus up. Who are no longer ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And who are willing to walk the street, across the yard, through the hedge bush, and love their neighbor. I have I read this illustration somewhere back in time. I can't can't remember where I got it from, but God reminded me of it. Did you know that when you go to bed at night, you, you, you don't choose to go to sleep? I mean, you, you make all the necessary arrangements to go to sleep. You have a nice, comfy bed. You have a quiet home. Or maybe some of you like that white noise in the background. You have to have that. You have all the necessary things in place to be able to get a good night's rest. Have you ever noticed that, that when you're having a hard time going to sleep, you can't make yourself go to sleep? As a matter of fact, the more I try to go to sleep, the less I sleep. So I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm laying there and I'm looking at the clock and next thing I know, one flashes by, 2 a.m. flashes by. I've got to go to sleep. I've got to go to sleep. I've got a long day tomorrow. I've got to get to sleep. And the more I do that, the less likely it is I'm going to go to sleep. You don't have control over when you're going to go to sleep except when you come to church. Now there you do have control over it. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Some of y'all get that in a little while. It's but all we do is we make preparations to get into good night's sleep. And if we make all the preparations, sleep comes. The more we try to force it, the less we sleep. Revival is the same way. Church, what we have to do is prepare ourselves for what God is about to do. Based on the reality of what God has done in the past, and that He hasn't changed, and that God wants to do something today. A superabundance of the moving of His Holy Spirit in this fellowship in Robinson County, where we have 56% of the population of Robinson County are lost and undone in their sins, and God has planted us here for such a time as this, and it will require a move of the Holy Spirit, not a program, not a fancy sermon, not a vision statement up in lights. It will take a broken people that will be willing to go across the street and tell that lost person about the Jesus we found. You can't do that. Only the Holy Spirit can. But it's going to cost. It's going to cost. It's going to require the priorities in your life to change. It's going to require our talk and our walk begin to match up. 
It's going to require us to let go of lesser gods that are no gods at all. I don't want to leave this earth without preparing myself for what God wants to say and do. Before I leave this earth, whether it's tomorrow or 30 years from now, every core and every cell of my being, I want to see a move of God like I read about in textbooks. And when it happens, all the world will know it wasn't a work of man. It could not be explained any other way than the work of God healing marriages, prodigals coming home, the lost being found, addictions, people being set free from their addictions, the kingdom of God expanding. Something that so radically changes this county for the cause of Christ, that the county is never the same again. I want that. I want it with every part of my being. But there's some things that we're going to have to deal with as a people of God. We're going to have to become a house of prayer. 2020, we're going to be focusing like a laser on prayer. How can we get more prayer into our meetings? How can we get more prayer into our finance and budget planning? How can we get more prayer into our deacons meetings? How can we get more prayer into these worship services? Praying before, praying after, praying everywhere in between. Because what we're talking about is a move of God, and no move of God has ever happened without prayer. So, it's going to cost us. Let me ask you some questions. Is there anything in this world controlling you other than God? What has your attention? What, what is it in your life that, that is requiring you to bow down to it, requiring your financial support, requiring your time? What is it in your life other than Christ that is controlling you? You know what it is. What is it that's running you crazy? What is it that dictates everything your family does? Could it be that it's a lesser God? Could it be that it's an, an idol? Could it, could it be that there's an idol in your life that you never even thought about? What about this one? Do I see evil and avoid it? Or do I carelessly run towards it? Evil is creeping into our homes in so many different ways now. Netflix, Amazon Prime, social media, I can go on here. When that evil is creeping into our house, do we just go, ah, no big deal? Or do we deal with it? Because if we're just allowing it to creep in and it's, it's beginning to control our lives and we carelessly run towards it, you may have an idol in your life, and, and with that idol, you can never please a holy God. You can never be right with Him if your life is aligning with something less than Him. 
And then here's a question. Is it evident to all who are around you that whatever God says to you, you will do? In other words, is, is Jesus Christ the Lord over your family, your marriage, your schedule? Or, or has other things taken control of your life? Has sports, social media, cheerleading, dance, work, money, vacations, has any of that stuff become Lord of your life? I can tell you right now, if it has, it's not going to be a good Lord for you to bow down to. I'm telling you, it will demand more and more and more and will never provide the peace and the joy that your soul desires. So let me ask you something. What does the Lord need to resuscitate in your life? What does He need to revive in your life? Let's respond openly right now. I'm going to ask you to right now. You don't have to stand. But what do you need the Lord to resuscitate, to revive in your life right now? Call it out. What do you need God's power to work in your life? Call it out. Father in heaven, You've got something you want to say. I believe, firmly believe, that you're about to do something in this fellowship that's not been experienced for quite some time. But it's going to start on the inside first. Father, all those great moves of your hand, it welled up from a group of people who were broken, who were sick of the world, who were groaning in their spirit for something real, something tangible, something that means something, who were fed up chasing lesser things. It, it welled up from a group of people who desired nothing less than your power and presence. And Father, they begged for it, they prayed for it, they fasted for it, they sought it, they wouldn't give up. And you poured out a move of your hand that we're still reading about today. Do it again. Do it again. More than anything else, we want you more than the world, more than the alcohol, more than the lust, more than the greed, more than the pride, more than the corporate ladder, more than the bank account full of money. We want you. And Father, we're not going to be satisfied with anything less. So Father, unless you show up, Unless you move upon these 6,000 homes, these 1,800 that we've been praying for, unless you move, there is no plan B. We are desperate. Our county is broken. Many have given up, but not me, not this place, not this fellowship. We just need you. We won't be satisfied with anything less. So, Father, during this last song, I pray that you move upon the hearts of these people. 
And whatever you say to them right now, that, that they're going to do, however you want them to respond, that they be faithful and obedient. We look forward to the move of your hand. If you spare your coming, you allow us to live through 2020. When we stand here a year from now, we are going to rejoice in what you have done, and we will forever be changed because of the work that you're getting ready to do. So we are waiting expectedly upon your power and your presence. Nothing else will do. We love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name.
next to you. If you don't know them, that's okay. It's okay. If you have a little bit of anxiety with that, that's okay. Just uh, hold your own hand and everybody around you will understand. Father, your people are willing to hear. And I believe you have something to say to them and to me individually. There is nothing more important this week that we've got to do that is more important than hearing from our Creator. There is nothing we've got to do this week that is more important than hearing from You. And Father, we know that it's risky. We'd rather just be busy. We'd rather just be about our own business because we know when we listen to you, you have something to say. And when you have something to say, it requires obedience. But nothing else is going to satisfy. Nothing else is going to matter. So, Father, we're listening. Bring revival to this dry and thirsty land. Pour your spirit out in a super abundant way. We are ready and willing to walk with you wherever that leads. Whatever sacrifice, whatever gods we need to let go of, whatever addictions we need to be set free from, none of it's none of it even comes close to you. We love you. We thank you for your presence in this place today. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist. 